This morning we're looking at Romans chapter 1, verses 11 to 15. Romans chapter 1, verses 11 to 15. Nice to hear the pages of scripture rustling out there. Humpty Dumpty sat on a wall. Humpty Dumpty had a great fall. And all the king's horses and all the king's men couldn't put Humpty back together again. Maybe what Humpty needed was an ounce of prevention and not a pound of cure. Nobody, nobody really cared for Humpty Dumpty. Maybe Humpty needed someone being aware of his whereabouts before he got himself in danger by climbing up onto that wall. Nobody really cared for Humpty. Maybe Humpty Dumpty needed someone in the Dumpty family praying for his safety. No one really cared for Humpty Dumpty. A caring, praying Dumpty family may have made a difference if they really cared for Humpty. And the king's men, well, they were reactive. They were not proactive. Plus, they were too late. Apparently, nobody really cared for Humpty Dumpty. He had to live as a solo egg. That's a joke. When I wrote that, I thought of all the times I've gone to the restaurant and asked for one egg and toast. And they asked me, how do you want your egg? And I always say scrambled to match my personality. Really caring is really rare, church. It does happen every so often. And when it does happen, it really touches you. It really blesses you. And when it happens, really caring towards you, you never, ever forget it happened in our family when two believers bought us a brand new car because I totaled the car in an accident. It happened when my best friend in high school, when I was a backslidden Christian, risked our friendship and bluntly challenged me to intensively study the Bible for one year to find God's will for my life, really caring. It happened many winters, in fact, all six winters that we lived in northeast Pennsylvania before coming to the beautiful Bahamas. We lived in the snow belt in the Pocono Mountains, and we got a lot of snow. And there was a man in our church who really cared for me and my family because he plowed our 300-foot-long driveway as unto the Lord. I never saw Bill really caring. It really was something when someone in a church came to me in love and said, Pastor Rob, you need to do a better job correcting one of your children in this area really caring. Really caring, it does occasionally happen when people genuinely, lovingly take an interest in us and then practically care for us. It happens rarely, but it ought to happen often in the incredible body of Christ. Last time in the evenings, I'm going through the book of Romans verse by verse consecutively, preaching Romans both the morning and the evening. I hope to see more of you out at 6.30 on Sundays. The last time we were in Romans in verses 8 to 10, we saw proof positive of the Apostle Paul's genuine caring for the Christians in the church at Rome. Although he had not yet had the opportunity to meet any of them face to face, he had a proven care for them, and it was proven in the text by two things. Paul traced or monitored their good testimony for Christ, 
And second, he could accurately and truthfully say that he always and unceasingly prayed for those Christians he had never met. So we see in the verses preceding our paragraph for this morning the two proofs that the Apostle Paul really cared. And now in the verses before our attention this morning, from the proof we move to three reasons why the Apostle Paul really cared for the church at Rome. And the great thing about these reasons is they're timeless. The same things that were reasons for Paul to be genuinely really caring for the church at Rome are the same reasons that you and I should really care for people around us in the pews in this church family. So let me overview the three reasons. Number one, Paul really cared for the Romans Christians because of mutual ministry and edification. Edification means to build up in the things of God. Mutual ministry and edification, I see that in verses 11 and 12. Second reason he really cared, the winning of new converts. I see that in verse 13. And three, he really cared for the Romans because he was to fulfill his obligation to God to preach the gospel to the Gentiles, and of course the Romans were Gentiles. Now I want to go through these three and unpack them with you very quickly this morning. Reasons that Paul had real care for the church at Rome, reasons that we should really care for the people in this church family. Number one, the reason of mutual ministry and edification. Follow with me now as I read Romans 1, verses 11 to 13. Hear the word of God. For I long to see you in order that I may impart some spiritual gift to you that you may be established. That is, that I may be encouraged together with you while among you, each of us by the other, by the other's faith both yours and mine. And I do not want you to be unaware, brethren, that often I have planned to come to you and have been prevented thus far in order that I might obtain some fruit among you also, even as among the rest of the Gentiles. Paul is not saying in these verses that somehow he personally would grant to those Roman believers spiritual gifts. That's no Christian's ability to do. But rather, he was saying in his writing to them that he wanted to utilize his own spiritual gift to the end that each of them in Rome would be spiritually established. The question we should ask of this verse is what does it mean to be spiritually established? To get personal, the question that I should ask is, am I spiritually established? The question that each of you should ask, am I spiritually established? Well, to answer that question, we need to know what it's meant by being spiritually established, right? The Greek word which is translated here, established, really means to be made to stand sure. To be made to stand sure. Say that with me. To be made to stand sure. When our kids were just learning to walk, a lot of years ago now, we walked beside them and we held their hands. Eventually, the practice of this hand-holding exercise made them able to stand and walk sure-fitted on their own, enough that they rarely fell. Just think of it, credible body of Christ. Each of your Spiritual gifts being exercised can make someone else in this church family a sure standing 
disciple of Christ. That's amazing. That if you would exercise whatever spiritual gift you have from the Holy Spirit at the point of conversion, if you would exercise that gift within this body, you could be used of God to help another believer stand sure. There's two other things I want you to see about this word established, meaning to be made to stand. It's in the passive voice. The passive voice is reserved in Greek for action which is done to the subject. This is action which the Christians don't do for themselves. This means that for you to stand firm and established, you are going to need someone else's help to do it. You can't make yourself stand sure by some self-effort or spiritual push. So the passive voice means that to be made sure to stand is an action that is performed on you. You don't do it for yourself. Second, it's in the aorist tense. The aorist tense in Greek was a tense that described, in a summary way, completed action, done. Here, the action in the aorist tense is to be made to stand firm. That's God's will for each of you and me. And the aorist tense in this verse is giving no detail on the time required for you to be made sure on your feet in Christ. Remember the mind of God as transcendent God. Everything in the timeline is equally vivid. The past is as equally vivid as the present to God. The present is as equally vivid as the future to God. God looks at you. His will for you is for you to stand sure with the help of other believers exercising their spiritual gifts. You can't do this for yourself, and you can't put a timeline on God. You can't say, I want to be made sure spiritually by this time next week. God has a program for you. It's unique. He's got the timing, and he's never late. So what does this mean? This means that individual believers can be brought to a point of maturity where they stand established in the faith, and the time taken for that accomplishment varies from believer to believer. So I have two questions of the text and of you. Number one, have you or are you now letting other believers into your life so that the Lord can use those believers to bring you to a point of standing sure in your faith? Or are you bulletproof? Do you come to church bulletproof? where things are falling apart with your relationship with your child. And someone you've known for years comes up to you and says, how are things going? Fine. Just fine. Are you, will you, let a caring believer into your life to be real? God has sent that caring believer to really care for you. Are you going to reject the gift? If you have been a Lone Ranger Christian, proud, please let other believers care for you. Don't be ashamed. Don't be ashamed. Ask. There's nothing wrong with asking someone you trust in this church family to care for you. Would you care for me? I struggle with pornography. Would you pray for me? Ask me how I'm doing. 
struggle with gossip. Will you hold me accountable? Ask me how it's going. Course correct, Christian. If you've been living the Christian life like it's a solo sport, ask and accept other believers in this church family getting close to you and being real with you and you with them. The second question, have you been or are you now content to let the Lord determine the time for the work of you being made to stand sure in Christ? We live in a microwave generation. Why have a slow-cooked crock-pot dinner when you can just go to the store and frozen? Seven minutes, you got it, because it doesn't taste as good as this crock-pot. It's more expensive than the crock-pot. We live in a microwave age. I'm telling you what, when I surf the channels on the Cable Bahamas, yeah, Cable Bahamas, when I surf the channels, if you don't get my interest in three seconds, you're gone. When I open a web page on my iPhone, if it doesn't open in 15 or 20 seconds, I'm gone. We live in a microwave age, but we can't come to being made to stand sure in Christ, which is God's work done upon us using caring believers around us. We can't come to that and say, by noon today, or forget it. You know, you can grow pumpkins in a season, but it takes a lifetime to grow an oak tree. Before we move off of verses 11 to 13, I have four things for us to think about. Number one, Paul understood that spiritual maturity is the goal of ministry. Our goal is not just seeing people get saved and put them in a corner and say, when the rapture comes, you'll be good. The goal of Christian ministry is spiritual maturity. That's why this church is a church. So people will gain Spiritual maturity. Second, Paul realized that the exercise of spiritual gifts builds up. The New Testament word is edifies both the servant and the one being served. You cannot really care for another's spiritual maturity except you grow as well and they grow. Beautiful. Three, Paul sized it up that mutual ministry brings encouragement to all who are involved in the process. Come to church here today discouraged, down in the dumps, looking at the ground instead of the horizon. Encourage someone before you go to bed tonight. Phone someone in the church family and ask how you can pray for them before you go to bed tonight. Someone is battling an illness in the family, cook a casserole and take it over. Don't wait to be asked. Really care. Fourth, Paul anticipated that his future of going to the Romans wasn't yet realized, and he realized the fact he had never been there to visit them might be misinterpreted by some of the Christians there that he didn't really care for them, but he did. He had been prevented circumstantially from getting to Rome, and he said so in these verses. So in the first place, Paul really cared back then, and we are to really care for the people around us in this church family because of mutual ministry and because of edification. We go on. The second reason that Paul really cared and the reason you ought to really care for Christians is the winning of new converts. 
Paul understood that if he cared for the believers at Rome, if he regularly, unceasingly prayed for them, they would do the work of evangelism even as he was, and more people would come to Christ and be born again. Verse 13. And I do not want you to be unaware, brethren, that often I have planned to come to you and have been prevented thus far in order that I might obtain some fruit among you also, even as among the rest of the Gentiles. Fruit. This is not the fruit of the Spirit, which, by the way, is not nine different fruits. Don't call them fruits. The fruit of the Spirit is singular with nine different perspectives on the beautiful fruit, Galatians 5. But what this is, fruit of the spiritual life. What is God wanting to produce on the branches of your life? If you have a mango tree and it produces fruit, the fruit is for nourishment and refreshment. In your Christian life, God, through the Holy Spirit within you, wants to produce certain fruit on the branches of your life for the spiritual nourishment of other people and for refreshment of others around you. What is New Testament fruit? Number one, I won't look up these passages, but I ask you to. Developing Christian character. 2 Peter 1, 5-8. Developing Christian character is a part of the fruit, one of the fruits God wants for you. Second, right conduct, life, and work. When you are led of God in obedience to have proper conduct, proper life, and proper work, you are seeing fruit produced on the branches of your life. Colossians 1.10. Number three, fruit is those we lead to Christ, which is what we see in our text for this morning. Paul said, I want to get to Rome. I want to preach the gospel. I want to see people get saved so I can have some fruit. In Rome, he saw new converts as fruit, and we should too. Verbalized praise like we did this morning. Responsive reading of the scriptures, singing to the Lord. Vocalized praise is a fruit that God wants to produce on the branches of your life. And fifth, fruit, according to the New Testament, is generous financial giving to the Lord's work. Romans 15, 28. May I just say something? Our offerings don't meet the requirement 90% of our Sundays. The gospel is completely free to the person, but it costs the Godhead everything. And it costs a local church money to pipe it out. I challenge you to prayerfully ask the Lord, am I giving financially what I ought to give? I'll leave that with you. I don't know what anybody gives financially. I will never, never know. I don't want to know. It's between all of you and the Lord. I'll leave it at that. Biblical fruit, developing Christian character, right conduct, life and work, those we lead to Christ, verbalized praise, and generous financial giving to the Lord. This is what the New Testament defines as fruit. You know, an apple farmer up north plants apple trees because he's in it for the apples. He doesn't plant the apple trees just to say their flowers are pretty in the spring. He wants the apples. He wants to eat the apples. He wants to give the apples away, and he wants to sell the apples. An apple tree is planted by an apple farmer for the apples. The apostle Paul gave out the gospel to the Gentiles because he was in it for the converts to Christ. That's what he wanted. Expected. Paul began 
And Paul kept at sharing the gospel with the end in mind. He kept his eyes on the prize, which was converted souls, people translated out of the kingdom of darkness into the marvelous kingdom of his light. That's what he wanted. We need to know why we do what we do in our Christian lives. We need to know why, what we as a corporate body, as a church, do. Why do we do what we do as a church? We need to keep the end in mind. By the way, sometimes we do things, we don't even know why we do them. When someone sneezes, you know why you say, God bless you? Because it used to be believed that when a person sneezed, their spirit left their body. And if you didn't get their spirit back into their bodies promptly, then the devil would come in. That was the origin of that. By the way, why does the groom in a wedding ceremony come in first with his groomsman? Why not the woman and the man come together? It's not just to look at her gown. It's because the man is to initiate the wedding covenant. Men are to ask women to marry them, and women should never ask men to marry them. If you have to ask a man to marry you, you are going to have a rough time married. God has made men to be initiators. God has made women to be responders. One is not more important than the other. They just need to have both initiation and response. We need to know why we do what we do. Do you know why uh, it started around the world that believers like us this morning start at Sunday at 11 a.m.? It's nowhere in the New Testament that I could find 11 a.m. The reason they started at 11 a.m. was for dairy farmers. Dairy farmers got up to do their chores and milk their cows really early. They needed time to clean themselves up from the barn. And they said, okay, we'll meet Sundays at 11. And it took off and stuck. We need to know why we do what we do. Let me just make it clear. Calvary Bible Church doesn't go week by week only to produce attractive bulletins and PowerPoint slides. Nor do we get, nor is the point of Sundays to meet the budget, although I addressed that. Nor is the point to just plan for sweet music. That's worthwhile. Nor is it just to make each other happy, to get catch up on fellowship. Nor is it to just carry on a fine biblical tradition of over 50 years. You know, getting together is not even merely to get smarter in the Bible or to serve a community's temporal needs. Nothing wrong with any of these things. We don't get together regularly as a church to keep our teenagers out of trouble. No, we get together to glorify God by giving attention to his word and worship so that each of us will be conformed to the image of his son and God will get the glory. That's why we do what we do. That people would be saved, and that people would be grown up to stand firm in their faith in maturity in Christ. That's why we do what we do. I remember we had a living nativity in Pennsylvania a few years back. Excuse me, a few years back. Outside, in costumes, snow on the ground, very beautiful. Actors in costumes speaking this Christmas story. And at the end of one of these uh, performances, I was in the foyer of the church, and this little girl named Tezu was with her mommy. Tezu was about four or five years old, and her mommy said, you know, Pastor Rob, Tezu was just blown away with interest for the living nativity tonight. 
And she said, look right at me. Yes, how can I get involved? Four or five. We ought to be asking, how do I get involved? Because you want to get involved to worship and glorify God, but to encourage and care for each other and the community around us that is such dire need of basics. We get together so that we'll come to full stature in Christ as disciple followers, and that's the whole point. Every one of us needs to get involved in a ministry. Do you have a ministry? You should. You're needed. There are too many of us wearing five and six hats and too many of us not wearing any hat. You need to get involved in ministry if you know Christ. You need to really care. Third reason that the Apostle Paul really cared about the Romans and the third reason why we ought to really care for the people around us in the pews, Paul was obligated to preach the gospel to the Gentiles. And this included the Gentiles who were living at Rome. Verses 14 and 15. I am under obligation both to Greeks and to barbarians, both to the wise and to the foolish. Thus, for my part, I am eager to preach the gospel to you also who are in Rome. Even though he prayed for them unceasingly, even though he prayed for them always, even though he heard of their sterling testimony around the ancient Mediterranean basin, the known world, he knew there were lost people at the Church of Rome. There are lost people here this morning too. He said, I want to get there. I'm obligated to get there and preach the gospel. That ought to be your heart that no one would meet you except they face a why in the road about Jesus. Jim Elliott, I told you, wrote in his journal, God, make me a crisis man, a point in the fork of the road that no one encountering me can fail to need to see a decision about Jesus. Paul really cared, and you ought to really care, because he was obligated to preach the gospel to the Gentiles. Listen to 1 Corinthians 9, 16 to 18. This is Paul's inspired declaration of how he felt obliged. 1 Corinthians 9, 16 to 18. For if I preach the gospel... I have nothing to boast of, for I am under compulsion. For woe is me if I do not preach the gospel. For if I do this voluntarily, I have a reward. That's amazing. That God would save us by grace, unmerited favor, and then if we would just be obedient to what he tells us to do in his word, he would reward us at the beam of judgment seat of Christ. What grace. What grace. For if I preach the gospel... And have nothing to boast of, for I am under compulsion. For woe is me if I don't preach the gospel, for if I do this voluntarily, I have a reward. But if against my will, I have a stewardship entrusted to me. Beth and I house sat in homes for very wealthy Texans when we were in Dallas for seminary. When they gave us their keys and their alarm codes and their daughter, 
when they went on a vacation without their little daughter. We were under obligation to alarm the house when they alarmed the house, to put the child in a car seat the way they put the child in a car seat, to leave their jewelry in their drawers, to feed their daughter the kind of meals that they fed their daughter, and to get her to bed the time they put her to bed. We were under obligation. We weren't free agents. We didn't say, well, now that we're caring for you, Savannah, it's going to be different. We were under obligation. So are you. So am I. Share the gospel. Give the gospel. If we do it voluntarily, we can have a reward. But if it's against our will, we share the gospel anyway. We have to remember that it is a stewardship, an entrustment, an obligation. What then would be our reward? Paul says, what then is my reward? That when I have preached the gospel, I may offer the gospel without charge so as not to make full use of my right to the gospel. He is saying, as an apostle, I have the right for you to pay me to give the gospel, to support me in my family's needs. He was single. He says, I'm not going to call in that obligation on your part. I am going to give the gospel voluntarily with the reward that I can give the gospel without asking money from the people I'm giving the gospel to. Put some television preaching in the Bahamas through that grid. That I could preach the gospel without asking for money to preach the gospel. Paul said, I'm under obligation. Paul was like a hound dog on the scent of a deer. Paul was like a protective mother on a mean child who's bothering her boy in the park. Paul was like a foul throw shooter tied in a basketball game with two seconds left. Paul was intense. Paul was singularly focused on his life's calling, which was to win Gentiles to Jesus Christ and to Christ's salvation. And for Paul, really caring for people was to discharge that obligation, to give the gospel to the Gentiles who were lost. And so he was eager and not reluctant to do that. He was poised and not distracted. He was prepared and not disorganized. He was planning to get the job done and not hanging on to stay where he was because he was comfortable there. He was pushing ahead and not lagging behind the Holy Spirit because he saw himself under obligation to give the gospel to lost Gentiles. Do you see yourself having an obligation? Paul was intensely focused on his obligation to preach to the Gentiles and to lead them to Christ in the power of the Holy Spirit. And so what are you intensely focused on? What am I intensely focused on? It's easy to find out what you're intensely focused on. What do you think about most often when you're free to think about anything? When you're in the shower or in the bathtub, Relaxing, you're free to think about anything. What do you often think about? That's what you're focused on. When you're driving on New Providence, you're praying with your eyes open to begin with. <laughs> but when you're free to think about anything you can with the radio off, what do you think about? Money? Your health? Your children? Grandchildren? 
your to-do list. Whatever we let our minds turn to and think on is what we're intently focused on. Paul was intently focused on the lost Gentiles. What are we intensely focused on? Do we see sharing the gospel as a joyous obligation? Makes me think of the poem, Somebody. This is a little story about four people named everybody, somebody, anybody, and nobody. There was an important job to be done, and everybody was sure that somebody would do it. Anybody could have done it, but nobody did it. Somebody got angry about that because it was everybody's job. Everybody thought that anybody could do it, but nobody realized that everybody wouldn't do it. It ended up that everybody blamed somebody when nobody did what anybody could have done. If you know Christ as Savior, you are prepared to share the gospel. You don't have to have the gift of evangelism. You don't have to go to Bible college, teleos, seminary. don't have to come from a Christian home. If you know how to get saved, you know how to share your faith. Share it. When I go to a restaurant, in my wallet which, by the way, I left in the dashboard compartment. My bad. I can't pull it out because it's in the car. But in my wallet, I've shown you before, in the center section is my business card, who I am, Facebook, Twitter, phone number, email. But on the back of every business card is the bad news, good news, gospel presentation. And I give that card away a lot. Every time I eat in a restaurant, when someone pumps my gas, Gave one to some Haitian men that were working at the parsonage yesterday in Creole. There's tracks available in Creole. And what I often do when I give the tract business card to someone, I look them in the eye and I smile and I say, I'm Pastor Rob Elliott, Calvary Bible Church. And if I can ever help you or your family, I will do my best. The way my wife usually gives away tracts is she smiles and she says, this is the best news I've ever received. I'd like you to know about it. I hope you read it. We are under obligation to preach the gospel. You don't have to be behind a pulpit to do that. There's more here, but I'm going to let it go. Let's prove that we really care for the believers who are around us and form this incredible body of Christ. And let's do it by tracing their testimony for encouragement purposes. Let's do it, secondly, by unceasingly praying for the brethren. Let's do it third, by longing to spend time with them. One of the positive encouragements of this church since we've been here close to five months now is that usually people don't leave the campus like bullets shot out of a gun. When people, majority of people in a church family after Sunday morning service vanish within two minutes, that's a bad sign. 
But you linger in the foyer, and if it's hot, you linger on the front sidewalk, and you linger around the cars, just enjoying each other, just longing to be with each other. I love it. Keep it up. Prove your care for someone, number four, by using your spiritual gift to encourage them and to edify them, to assist them in becoming established in Christ. I'm going to give you one thing I was going to pass over. I hope your roast in the oven won't burn. Spiritual gifts. You say, I don't know my spiritual gift. I believe the most accurate, current list of spiritual gifts is in Romans 12. This is not in your outline. Romans 12, verses 3 through 8. I understand those spiritual gifts to be operative for today, whereas other sign gifts of the Spirit are not. Romans 12, 3 through 8, there are seven gifts. Ready? I'm going to illustrate it for you. If you don't know your spiritual gift, listen. If you think you know your spiritual gift, listen. Can you imagine there was a hostess who had a mini church meeting in their home? And she was proud and pleased that she made a four-story layer chocolate fudge cake. And the room where the mini church assembled had pure white carpet. You know what's happening. She carries the cake into the mini church. She catches the heel on her shoe and dumps the whole chocolate fudge cake all over the white carpet. The Christian in the group who has the spiritual gift of prophecy, which, by the way, there's a technical sense of prophecy, which was when the Bible was still being written, where people were blessed of God to know the future. This is the non-technical sense of prophecy, which is basically bringing God's word to bear on situations. The person with the gift of prophecy turns in the Bible and tells the the, uh, group gathered that this verse really applies to dumping chocolate cake on white carpets. Be careful. Watch your steps or whatever the case is. The person in the mini church that has a spiritual gift of service just slips out of the mini church living room and goes to the kitchen and rummages under the sink and finds carpet cleaning products, and then just goes about cleaning the carpet while everybody else is doing something else. That's a spiritual gift of service. Is that you? The third spiritual gift in that list in Romans 12 is teaching. The person with the spiritual gift of teaching saw what happened, stands up in the mini church and says, this is what I saw that happened, and this is how life can be different for us if we just learn from this. That's the person with the spiritual gift of teaching. The spiritual gift of exhortation or exhorting is the person who said, I guess we don't ever serve chocolate cake at a mini church again. Exhorting. The Christian with the spiritual gift of giving, by the way, that doesn't excuse the rest of us who don't have the spiritual gift of giving. The person with the spiritual gift of giving gives anonymously to spur others around him or her to give. That's the gift of giving. So the person with the spiritual gift of giving in this little scenario goes to a private room, pulls out a check, and cuts a check to recarpet the whole house. But only make sure that nobody except the owner of the house knew that he cut the check. That's a spiritual gift of giving. The spiritual gift of leading or administrating 
That person organizes three people to go out instantly to get carpet cleaning and uh, replacement carpet costs. Three comparative quotes. The person with the spiritual gift of showing mercy takes the hostess in a hug and says, come with me, come with me. And just tenderly brings the hostess to her bedroom, the master bedroom, sits on the bed with her, and the hostess is so mortified, and she's embarrassed, and she's crying. And the person with the gift of mercy, showing mercy, just listens. Just listens. Then after time, she may say, it's going to be all right. These things happen. Don't be embarrassed. We love you. What's your spiritual gift? Prophecy, service, teaching, exhorting, giving, leading, showing mercy. You say, okay, pastor, I get the illustration, but I still don't know. Here's what you do. Remember I said earlier in the sermon, everybody needs a ministry? Volunteer for a ministry come fall. Every one of you. Then figure out what spiritual gift is required in that ministry. And do it. Guess what? If you are in a ministry that requires a spiritual gift that you do not have, then five minutes in that ministry will seem to you like an hour. That's all right. Get out of that ministry. It's not using your spiritual gift. Get another ministry. Or if you get into a ministry and an hour seems like five minutes, that's using your spiritual gift. The best way to discover your spiritual gift is not through a paper inventory, although that does have a place. The best way for you to find your spiritual gift is to get out there and serve, minister, and see what gift is needed for what you're doing and how you're doing with what you're supposed to be doing. If five minutes seems like an hour, you don't have that gift. An hour seems like five minutes, oh yeah, you've got that gift. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this time in your word. Uh, We pray, Lord, that we would be humble to receive it, and we pray that we would be proactive to obey it. Uh, Make us to be an even more caring congregation. And we ask this in Jesus' name and for Jesus' sake. And the God's people said...